So we thank you for being with us in worship today. So I did want to both celebrate and note, you may have remembered, we talked a lot about our pledge campaign back in the fall particularly, but in 2023, let you know that we are at about 94% of our pledge goal. Yeah, I mean, you're allowed to celebrate it. And so this is just my little housekeeping reminder that we don't officially set our budget until the church council meeting at the end of January. So if you're able and you just haven't turned your card in, it's not too late. You can do that online. Just saying. But this morning, as we delve into the sermon and the new sermon series, what I would like to talk about is New Year's resolutions, right? So they are a common thing. In fact, I want us to show hands who has a New Year's resolution for this year, even if it's just a small one. Okay, right, there's a lot of us. So mine is to get my four-year-old to eat more fruits and vegetables. Right? Right? So studies show that most of us make New Year's resolutions, and yet... Despite our great intentions and grand visions at making these New Year's resolutions each and every single year, statistically, we fail at them. We have high hopes, we have grand visions, and we just don't fully live up to them. And this is baked into our culture. I learned that we as a people have been doing this for many, many years. So I saw this on CBS Sunday Morning is where my information is from. The Babylonians, back when they saw spring as the new year, were actually the first culture to celebrate the new year. So they were the first to set and fail at these intentions or resolutions for the new year. And so even all these years later, here we are today still setting and still failing at them, following in their ancient but well-intentioned footsteps. Because here's the thing about New Year's resolutions. Not always, but a lot of times. We think about the ones we hear over and over again. They can be based on these outward and external pressures. Or even these ideas of self-improvement that we think that we need to have. Think about the one that seems to be most popular every single year. We need to lose weight. Or maybe yours might be we need to get a new wardrobe to be more fashionable. Or maybe we think I need to try a new style, either some new makeup or a new haircut to fit in. We get a lot of ideas that we need to fix something that is wrong with us. And while there is nothing wrong with self-improvement, there's nothing wrong with reflection and trying to be more healthy and trying to be our best selves, what if, what if we looked at the new year from a different perspective? What if instead of looking at all the things that we felt like were wrong with us or needed to be fixed in order to feel worthy, that's the perspective we're talking about here, what we need to fix in order to feel worthy. What if we thought instead what God says about us first? What if we thought about the simple, yet pivotal, yet foundational, and oh-so-true-yet-hard truth? It's up there on the screen. You are loved. You are loved. 
Yes, you are. Just as you are, even now. Not after you lose the weight, then you'll be loved. Or after you get the new clothes. Or after you have a bigger social calendar or more friends on Facebook. But this is a foundational truth in our Christian faith that can be so hard for us to really sink in and let permeate our lives. That we are loved. And so over the next few weeks in this sermon series, we're going to explore different aspects of this foundational truth and how we can let it change our lives and how we can use that place of being loved to change the world. Because this idea that you are loved by God and by extension everyone is loved by God That can and that will both change our lives and change the world if we really live into it. But today, we are starting it all with the idea of baptism. Baptism. Maybe it's something you've experienced before because you have been baptized. Maybe it's something you have seen before. Either you've seen a baptism performed in this service or another services or lots of them. But do we often here in worship, take enough time to unpack what it actually means. So yes, today is Epiphany Sunday, where we celebrate the three kings coming to the Christ child. But in the liturgical calendar this year, it's a little wonky. It's also Baptism of the Lord Sunday. And so this gives us an important time to unpack what baptism means because baptism believe it or not is this great place for us to start to unpack this love that God has for us in our lives so let's turn to our scripture passage for today from the gospel of Mark John the Baptist was in the wilderness calling for people to be baptized To show that they were changing their hearts and lives. And wanted God to forgive their sins. Everyone in Judea and all the people of Jerusalem went out to the Jordan River. And were being baptized as they confessed their sins. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. He announced, one stronger than I is coming after me. I'm not even worthy to bend over and loosen the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. About that time, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. So while he was coming up out of the water, Jesus saw heaven splitting open. And the spirit, like a dove, coming down on him. And there was a voice from heaven. You are my son, whom I dearly love. In you I find happiness. So this scripture passage that's very traditional for baptism of the Lord Sunday. It comes out of the gospel of Mark. And here we have this guy, John the Baptist. He's Jesus' cousin, and he's bursting onto the scene. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's baptizing all these people who are learning about the kingdom of God and learning to follow the way of the kingdom of God. So this fast-paced action, this is the way that Mark's gospel works. It's fast. 
It's dramatic. He likes to get straight to the point and tell you what is going on to keep the story moving. So naturally, here in chapter 1, we get very quickly to where Jesus bursts onto the scene, already an adult. And because John is baptizing people, it's natural that John would baptize Jesus when he comes along as well. But, even though this is a short set of scriptures and the action is moving very quickly, we get enough to see how baptism changes. When Jesus appears on the scene. Remember, we had lots of other instances of people being baptized and nothing this grand and nothing this miraculous happened until Jesus appeared on the scene. So for Jesus, when he is baptized, the heavens open up and we get the spirit of God descending like a dove. And we get this voice from God saying, you are my son whom I dearly love and in you I find happiness. It's grand, it's miraculous, it's this powerful moment. Even in Mark's dramatic and exciting and rushing gospel, he creates this thing that we can't miss, we can't gloss over. And so, of course, on one dimension, it's meant to introduce us and make us pay attention to who Jesus is, how important he is, how world-changing he is, to help us see this really is the Son of God that was sent To change the world. But here's a second dimension to this passage. And one for us to focus in on. As we are talking about baptism today. This isn't just a special VIP scene. For Jesus. Because this whole point of this scene. Is to talk about how Jesus changes baptism. And what our baptism means to us. Right? To remember how our baptism shows us. That we are loved. Right? And so this also reflects the dynamic in the Christian church of what baptism looks like for us too. No, we typically don't get these dramatic lights coming down from heaven and spirit of God descending by a dove and giant voices from heaven, but it is nonetheless a sacred and grace-filled moment. It's a reminder that you are Loved, whoever you are. It's a sacred sign of God's grace at work in your life. A promise that God is naming and claiming you, yes, you, as one of God's own. So there's something sacred in the work of baptism, in all of our baptism, that reminds us of God's love. It's what we call in the United Methodist Church, provenient grace may have heard that word before, maybe not. But it's this idea that God's grace goes before us. God's grace is at work in every person before they acknowledge it, before they can even understand it, even if they decide not to accept it, even if they reject it. Provenient grace says God's grace is still at work in that person. It's why, if you ever wondered why we baptize babies and infants and toddlers and children... In the United Methodist Church. Because regardless of age. We see baptism. As that work of grace. God naming and claiming that person as God's own. And God being the primary actor in that sacred thing of baptism. Regardless of age. 
And so whether we're talking about a person's first baptism or whether we're talking about a baptism remembrance where we remember those vows and we remember the action of baptism, both are powerful and sacred and grace-filled occasions. And so in my relatively short time in ministry, I have seen God's grace at work in mysterious ways through the sacrament of baptism. So I became a pastor in July 2020. Let me tell you, that was a really interesting time to become a pastor in July 2020. But that means that I was as fresh and as green as they come on January 6, 2021. After what happened in the nation's capital. And I was in a church that was as theologically and politically divided as I have ever seen in my entire life. And so you do know, I I did worship planning in advance. We knew months out what we were going to do on the calendar. And I've always said the Holy Spirit works in the planning process. Do you know what we had planned for that Sunday? We were going to remember our baptism. That was already on the calendar. So we stuck with it. We, as a divided congregation on that day, remembered our baptism. And I preached on how that was a tangible yet sacred act, that we are all united in God's love. We all pledge allegiance to the kingdom of God first and foremost as Christians. And that was this moment of defiant healing in a deeply divided world. So I've joked sometimes that babies and kids seem to just be drawn to God's grace because we have some babies and toddlers that just love to keep splashing and playing in the baptismal water. It's cute and it's adorable, but I think they might be onto some theological truth here that we could get a hold of as well. That the idea that God's grace is so amazing and so plentiful and so just life-changing, that we should just want more of it. And we just can't keep away from splashing and playing in that water. And so my final baptism story, I have to give credit where credit is due, because it's not my story, but it's the story of our former senior pastor, David McIntyre, but it's just too powerful not to share. He shared before where he served a church in rural Florida. And so at his time serving that church, the first ever black congregant for that congregation began to attend. And so that was groundbreaking. And honestly, he says, even unsettling for the congregants, especially his lay leader. So David saw this dynamic and knew that he needed to be both pastoral and prophetic in his leadership at that time. Because they were all loved by God And he saw the need to bring that unity and bring welcome into this congregant who was um, new among them. That that black congregant deserved to be loved and accepted in that church. So when the time came for the congregant to be baptized in the congregation, of course David said yes. He was so glad to do it. But with a nudge from the spirit, he took it, he says, a step further. He asked for help with the baptism, and who did he call on? He called on this lay leader, 
that had a lot of trepidation about the whole thing. And he was surprised that this gentleman didn't storm out, but instead said, yes. And David asked him to help pour the water, even asked him to touch him and say a prayer before the baptism was performed. And he did it with noticeable emotion. And David shares, while it wasn't an instantaneous fixing of everything, it did begin to change the heart of that man and change hearts in that congregation after that day. That congregant continued to come to that church, and it was groundbreaking for that community and for that time. God's grace seen in the sacrament touched all of them that day, and it reminded them that they are all loved by God. And thus they should treat each other as if they are all loved by God because they are. So as we come to our own baptism remembrance, which is something that we are going to do today, may we approach the water with that same excitement. May we approach it with that same reverence. May we approach it with that same expectation. May this be a time for us to remember that we are loved by God just as we are. Not after we change something about ourselves. Not after we earn it or deserve it. But now. But on the other hand, may we also take seriously these vows as we remember our baptism together. That recommitment to live into the way of God's kingdom that Christ has modeled for us. That way of living that stresses that every person is loved, every person is valued, and every person is worthy in God's eyes. Every outsider, every person who feels different than the norm, every person who is on the margins, or just feels different and alone. We commit as followers of God to serve and love the least of these just as God loved. So friends, I invite us now to join in this liturgy of baptismal remembrance together. So siblings in Christ, it is through the sacrament of baptism that we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the Spirit. All of this is God's gift offered to us without price. So on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? If so, please say, I do. Do you accept the freedom and power that God gives you to resist evil and injustice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? Put your whole trust in his grace and promise to serve him as your Lord. In union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. And according to the grace given to you, will you remain faithful members of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representatives in the world? Will you pray with me? Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the dark waters and brought forth light. 
In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. After the flood, you set in the clouds a rainbow. When you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Their children you brought to the Jordan, to the land to which you have promised. In the fullness of time, you sent Jesus, nurtured in the water of a womb. He was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. He called his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection and to make disciples of all nations. So pour out your Holy Spirit to bless this gift of water and those who receive it. To wash away their sin and clothe them in righteousness throughout their lives. That dying and being raised with Christ, they may share in his final victory. Amen. Well, friends, we thank you for being with us in worship today. And so as we prepare to go from this place, may you hear and receive this benediction. May you know that whoever you are, whatever you feel, you are loved. We have named and claimed that. We remember that God names and claims us through that provenient grace. So may that be something you let sink into your bones. And may that also be something that you remember to reflect out into the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.